Chapter fourteen of Wilder's Hand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Wilder's Hand by J. Sheridan Le Fenu. Chapter fourteen. In which various persons give their opinions of Captain Stanley Lake. Stanley is an odd creature said rachel so soon as another slight incline brought them to a walk i can't conceive why he has come down here or what he can possibly want of that disagreeable lawyer they've got dogs and guns and are going of course to shoot but he does not care for shooting and i don't think mr larkin's society can amuse him stanley is clever and cunning i think but he is neither wise nor frank he never tells me his plans though he must know he does know i love him yes he's a strange mixture of suspicion and imprudence he is wonderfully reserved i'm certain he trusts no one on earth and at the same time except in his confidences he's the rashest man in living if he were like lord chelford or even like our good vicar not in piety for poor stanley's training like my own was sadly neglected there i mean in a few manly points of character i should be quite happy i think in my solitary nook is he so very odd said miss brandon coldly i only know he makes me often very uncomfortable answered rachel i never mind what he tells me for i think he likes to mislead everybody and i have been too often duped by him to trust what he says i only know that his visit to gillingdon must have been made with some serious purpose and his ideas are all so rash and violent he was at doniston for ten days i think when i was there and seemed clever they had charades and proverbs dramatiques i'm no judge but the people who understood it said he was very good oh yes he is clever i knew he was at doniston but he did not mention he had seen you there he only told me he had met you pretty often when you were at lady elton's last season yes in town she answered a little dryly while these young ladies are discussing stanley lake i may be permitted to mention my own estimate of that agreeable young person captain lake was a gentleman and an officer and of course an honourable man but somehow i should not have liked to buy a horse from him he was very gentlemanlike in appearance and even elegant but i never liked him although he undoubtedly had a superficial fascination i always thought when in his company of old lord holland's silk stocking with something unpleasant in it i think in fact he was destitute of those fine moral instincts which are born with men but never acquired and in his way of estimating his fellow-men and the canons of honour there was occasionally perceptible a faint flavour of the villainous and an undefined savour at times of brimstone i know also that when his temper which was nothing very remarkable, was excited. He could be savage and brutal enough, and I believe he had often been violent and cowardly in his altercations with his sister. So at least two or three people who were versed in the scandals of the family affirmed. But it is a censorious world, and I can only speak positively of my own sensations in his company. His morality, however, I suppose, was quite good enough for the world, and he had never committed himself in any of those ways of which that respectable tribunal takes cognizance so that damned fellow lake is down here still 
and that stupid, scheming lubber Larkin driving him about in his tax cart instead of minding his business. I could not see him today. That sort of thing won't answer me, and he is staying at Larkin's house, I find. Wilder was talking to me on the doorsteps after dinner, having in a rather sulky way swallowed more than his usual modicum of Madeira, and his remarks were delivered interruptedly, two or three puffs of his cigar interposed between each sentence. I suppose he expects to be asked to the wedding. He may expect. <laughs> you don't know that lad as I do. Then there came a second cigar, and some little time in lighting, and full twenty enjoyable puffs before he resumed. Now, you're a moral man, Charlie. Tell me really what you think of a fellow marrying a girl he does not care that for. And he snapped his fingers. Just for the sake of her estate. It's the way of the world, of course, and all that, but is not it a little bit shabby, don't you think, eh? <laughs> I'll not debate with you, Wilder, on that stupid old question. It's the way of the world, as you say, and there's an end of it. They say she's such a beauty. Well, so I believe she is, but I can't fancy her. Now, you must not be angry. I'm not a poet like you, a book-learned, you know, and she's too solemn by half. And grand. I wish she was different. That other girl, Rachel, she's a devilish handsome craft. I wish almost she was not here at all, or I wish she was in Dorcas's shoes. Nonsense, Wilder, stop this stuff, and it's growing cold. Throw away that cigar and come in. In a minute. No, I assure you, I'm not joking. Hang it, I must talk to someone. I'm devilish uncomfortable about this grand match. I wish I had not been let into it. I don't think I'd make a good husband to any woman I did not fancy. And where's the good of making a girl unhappy, eh? Tut, Wilder, you ought to have thought of all that before. I don't like your talking in this strain when you know it's too late to recede. Besides, you are the luckiest fellow in creation. Upon my word, I don't know why the girl marries you. You can't suppose that she could not marry much better, and if you have not made up your mind to break off, of which the world would form but one opinion, you had better not speak in that way any more. Why, it was only to you, Charlie, and to tell you the truth, I do believe it is the best thing for me, but I suppose every fellow feels a little queer when he is going to be spliced. A little bit nervous, eh? But you are right, and I'm right, and we are all right. It is the best thing for us both. It will make a deuced fine estate, but hang it, you know a fellow's never satisfied. And I suppose I'm a bit put out by that disreputable dog's being here. I mean Lake, not that I need care more than Dorcas or anyone else, but he's no credit to the family, you see, and I never could abide him. I've half a mind, Charlie, to tell you a thing, but hang it, you're such a demure old maid of a chap. Will you have a cigar? No. Well, I believe two's enough for me. And he looked up at the stars. I have a notion of running up to town, only for a day or two before this business comes off. Just on the sly, you'll not mention it, and I'll have a word with Lake. Quite friendly, of course, but I'll shut him up, and that's all. I wonder he did not dine here today. Did you ever see so pushing a brute? So Wilder chucked away his cigar and stood for a minute with his hands in his pockets looking up at the stars as if reading fortunes there i had an unpleasant feeling that mark wilder was about some mischief a suspicion that some game of mine and countermine was going on between him and lake 
to which I had no clue whatsoever. Mark had the frankness of callosity, and could recount his evil deeds and confess his vices with hilarity and detail, and was prompt to take his part in a lark, and was a remarkably hard hitter, and never shrank from the brunt of the row, and with these fine qualities, and a much superior knowledge of the ways of the flash world, had commanded my boyish reverence and a general popularity among strangers. But with all this, he could be as secret as the sea with which he was conversant, and as hard as a stone wall when it answered his purpose. He had no lack of cunning, and a convenient fund of cool cruelty when that stoical attribute was called for. Years, I dare say, and a hard life, and profligacy, and command, had not made him less selfish or more humane, or abated his craft and resolution. If one could only see it, the manoeuvring and the ultimate collision of two such generals as he and Lake would be worth observing. I dare say my last night's adventure tended to make me more nervous and prone to evil anticipation, and although my quarters had been changed to the lower story, I grew uncomfortable as it waxed late, and half regretted that I had not migrated to the Brandon Arms. Uncle Lorne, however, made me no visit that night. Once or twice I fancied something, and started up in my bed. It was fancy, merely. What state had I really been in when I saw that long-chinned apparition of the pale portrait? Many a wiser man than I had been mystified by dyspepsia and melancholic vapors. End of section 14